Well, we're glad you're with us this morning. If you're over in South, you know that this morning's been a little different because you've been involved with the service the whole time through video where we usually have a live band over there and over here. But the last two weeks, we've given the vest as many of our volunteer musicians as possible off so the recognition of they serve so faithfully, so much through four different services each week. And so last week it was all video in here, this week all video in South, and then next week we'll be back to normally the way we do it. But just really grateful for our musicians, so it was a couple weeks to give them a break. So thank you very much. If you have a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 10. In the Gospel of Mark, we've been looking at the various folks that Jesus encounters. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus encounter in Mark chapter 10, fearful followers. And we'll quickly see in the text why it's an encounter with fearful followers. But as you turn there, let me ask you a question. All of us have some fear of something. Let me pick one. If you'd be willing, by a show of hands, to show, if you are afraid of flying, could you raise your hand? Uh, There's been folks in every hour, okay, only a few this hour. Any afraid to admit they're afraid to fly? (laughs) See, there's a legitimate reason to be afraid of flying, but so let me ask you this question for all of us whether you're afraid of flying or not. This question. If a highly reliable source predicted your plane was gonna crash, would you be afraid to fly? Yes? 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 Let me see your hand. You'd be afraid to fly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fly. (laughs) Right? I mean, you didn't do that logic that quickly. If a highly reliable source says the plane's gonna crash, I'm not afraid to fly because I'm not gonna fly. You see, the fear is because it might happen, not it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, I just don't get on the plane. There's nothing to be afraid of. Now, I want you to take that logic into this encounter. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says this, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were, say it, fearful. So that's why this is Jesus encountering fearful followers. And here's why they're afraid. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him when they get to Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be, not might be, not could be, but will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes and they might, will, or could will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, we hope, no, three days later, he will rise again. So Jesus very clearly predicts what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. Question, if you've been with us, is this new information? All right, if, if you haven't been with us, you need to know this is not new information. This is the repeated predicted future of Jesus. Jesus has said this multiple times. Let me show you quickly. We're in chapter 10. Go back to chapter 8, just a couple pages in your Bible. Chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So he has said exactly what he said in chapter 10. He said it in chapter 8. And just in case case you go, well, you know, that was a little muddy. No, he says verse 32. And he was stating the matter plainly. Chapter 9. Verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will, they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. And so second time that he has said plainly to him, here's what's going to happen. Next verse, verse 32 of Mark 9, but they didn't understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. And all of us have been that 
situation where somebody says something, they said it again, and you still don't get it, but you don't want to be the person that goes, I don't still get it. And so you just stay quiet, confused, quietly confused. Third time, Mark chapter 10. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him, a little more detail, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. So this is not new information. This is the plainly repeated, predicted future of Jesus, that Jesus will, not might, not could, Jesus will suffer. And not only will he suffer, Jesus, second, will be killed. Third, Jesus will rise again. Now, here was my dilemma. More than 18 months ago, when I'm laying out the gospel of Mark as we're going to teach through it, I get to this and I'm like, ah, we've been here. We've done that. I've already taught that. I, I'm not going to take a message and teach it again. I mean, how many times can I tell you the same information? Except as I was reviewing it again, I, I was struck and stopped by this thought. Though the disciples were told plainly and repeatedly about what would happen to Jesus, they didn't believe it. They were still like completely caught off guard. He said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then what? It happened. And they went, what? And folded and ran scared. Now, if you don't know the Gospels, sorry, that was a spoiler alert. <laughs> That's what's coming. Jesus said, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, and it did, and then they ran chicken. Like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. So I was like, how's that happen? And then, here's what really got me. If that could happen to the twelve to be plainly and repeatedly told something and then not be ready for it to happen, why would I possibly think it could be different for me or for us? And so a number of weeks ago, I'm thinking I'm just going to blow through this section and get to the next encounter. And I start asking myself this question and opening my Bible, going through my Bible as clearly and as I can to answer this question. What's the Bible say plainly and repeatedly about our future as Christ followers? Do I know it? And not only do I know it, will I be ready for it? Because would you consider Jesus a highly reliable source? Yes. Uh, I consider Jesus to be, you might not, I consider Jesus and therefore, the word of God to be a highly reliable source. When Jesus said it was going to happen to him, it did. But they weren't ready. So the goal this morning, very simple. What does the Bible plainly and repeatedly say is part of our future? And will we believe it to the extent that we will be ready for it? So I'm going to run you through three, excuse me, six passages. You can try and keep up with me in your Bible, or you could just take your message memo and just write the passages down, six of them. And that way you'll have them there in your notes. You can go back. There is plain, repeated, predicted future for followers of Jesus. Six passages. First, John 15, 18, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, Within hours of him being arrested, he says to them, if the world, this is John 15, 18 through 20, if you want to just write that reference down. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world, say it, hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Is that plain? Yeah, Jesus couldn't be more plain. Uh, this is a funny thing about being a follower. If you follow someone, you go where they 
Well, and Jesus said, because your leader is going to go and suffer, you're going to suffer too. It's part of following me. 2, John 16, verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. In other words, the people that used to hang with religiously, they're going to kick you out, excommunicate you. But an hour is coming for everyone who, who, this is a significant change, who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. So they're not only going to persecute you by kicking you out. Some of you are going to be killed in the name of God, who used to be your friends, who used to be the people that you worshiped with. Two, Luke 21, verses 16 and 17. This is our third passage. Luke 21, 16, 17. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Can I read that to you again? Because what are we looking at? The plainly repeated predicted future of followers of Jesus. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they'll put some of you to death. And you'll be hated by all. One reason. Me. My name. Because you are followers of Jesus. Fourth. Peter, now, those first three were Jesus. Peter, who heard what Jesus said, then writes to other next kind of generation, if you will, followers of Jesus. In all this, they, those who are not walking with Jesus, are surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. In other words, they wonder, why don't you party like they party? And because you don't party like they party, they malign you. You know what malign means? They slander. They verbally speak ill against you. So it's a verbal issue. They malign you. They speak badly. They may lie about you. They might curse you. It's a verbal deal. Fifth passage. The writer with Hebrews says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, that is, after you called upon the name of the Lord and were saved, after you were made new in Christ and you became a Jesus follower, after that, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So if we're all Christ followers, this side of the room may go, we got mistreated, we were persecuted, and this side of the room, it didn't happen to you directly, but because it was your brothers and sisters in Christ, you helped them, and so you suffered by their suffering. There's two ways. That's all he's saying. For you showed sympathy, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And then the sixth is probably the the most wide-sweeping, general, least-claimed promise in all the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed... All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might, not could, will be persecuted. Now, we, we, we looked all those six passages in answer to this question. What's the Bible say plainly and repeatedly will happen to followers of Jesus? Did you capture it? <laughs> well, it's going to be a repeat of what happened to Jesus. Jesus suffered. Followers of Jesus will suffer. Will suffer. And that suffering may come in various forms. That suffering may come physically, even to the point of physical death. That suffering may become relationally, from parent, brother, sister, friend, relative, That suffering may be verbal. It may be a lie against you. It may be a false accusation against you. Because of you being a follower of Jesus, people malign you. They slander you. Or it may be financial. As a follower of Jesus, 
You may not get the work that you would have gotten. You may not get the job that you would have gotten as a follower of Jesus. You may suffer financially. You will suffer one of these ways. And because you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus not only suffered, he died, even though he was the son of God. Followers of Jesus will suffer and followers of Jesus will die. Some killed. One of our commended missionaries, John Bowers, speaking to him out after second hour just this morning, had just got back from China. Why he was in China, in the town they were in, all the pastors there were arrested and put in prison. He brought the church back together and said, we must be prepared to die for our faith. That's 2018, your world. Some are going to be killed because of Jesus. Outside of the caveat of the rapture of Christ returning before we die, following Jesus doesn't get you to escape the grave. Now, all I'm simply wanting us to understand this morning is this. Sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, if we follow Jesus then that's going to make our life good. And, and if, we, if we love the Lord, then our family is going to be good. And if we love the Lord, then our kids are going to walk with Jesus. And if we love the Lord, then we're going to be loved and appreciated at work. And if we love the Lord, he's going to spare us from disease. And if we love the Lord, he's going to give us lifelong health. And we have this idea that if we love the Lord, we're not going to suffer. But Jesus said plainly and repeatedly, I suffered, and if you follow me, you will suffer. Now, one more time. Is Jesus a highly reliable source? So why are you on that plane? Because it's not a, it could crash. It is a, you will suffer. Why in the world are you on that plane? Because if I knew the plane was going to crash, I think you all went, oh, I wish I have thought of that logic as well. If I knew it was going to crash, I just won't get on. Did you know that you were going to suffer if you followed Jesus? See, some people get on the train going, oh, I, did, I, I didn't know that. I heard the message, get out of hell, get into heaven. I didn't hear the layover in suffering land. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. I was a little kid. They said, you're going to hell. And I believed I was going to hell. And they said, I could go to heaven. If you trusted in Jesus, I was like, I, amen. But the scripture says plainly and repeatedly, you'll suffer. So folks, come on. Why in the world are you on this plane? <laughs> yeah, this is a good, good question. It's like, oh, I don't know. Some of us have never really thought about this. Am I stuck on? They, they won't let me off. He won't let me off. I don't want to get off. The guy in first hour said, because I know where that plane's headed. Because Jesus said, I suffered, you'll suffer. Because I died, you're going to die. But we've only gotten two-thirds of the way there. He also said, I will, what? You? I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. This is from 1 Thessalonians 4. About those who are asleep. Now, let's be clear here. If you ever said, man, I was dead asleep. Have you ever said that? You weren't. If you woke up and said you were dead asleep, you weren't dead asleep. When the Bible talks about being asleep, it's talking about being dead. So let me read it clearly for us. I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are dead. So that you will not grieve as do the rest to have no hope in death. For we believe, no, 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 no. If, 
we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have died, where? In Jesus. In other words, the scripture says, follower of Jesus, you don't need to be about, confused about your future. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to go where Jesus went. That means follower of Jesus, you're going to suffer. Follower of Jesus, you're going to die. Follower of Jesus, you are. You will rise again. Hey, that, that's good news. So, the plane ride may <laughs> encompass something you didn't think. Don't let that cause you not to be ready. You see, Jesus plainly and repeatedly tells us, here's what's going to happen to us in the immediate, and here's what's going to happen to us in the eternal. Let me ask you this. Is there a value of knowing now? Any value of knowing that now? Give you an example. I had the privilege of doing like a jillion weddings here at the chapel on my 29 years here. And whenever possible, I'll do four to six weeks of premarital with the couple before we do the wedding. And it's it's 100% not to get them ready for the ceremony. It's to get them ready for the reality that happens after the ceremony. To get them ready for this new thing called a marriage relationship. And I find all kinds in premarital. Some are like, yes, we want to learn. We want to learn. We learn. And then every once in a while, I run into a couple. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, we've read that book. Yeah, we're ready. We're good. And so literally, we're like three weeks in on this couple, this number of years back, and I said, you know what? It, this doesn't seem to be very profitable. Why don't I do you a favor and not waste your time? You do me a favor. Don't make me waste Let's not meet anymore until you're married for six months, <laughs> and then we can meet again. And they were like, oh, we're so offended. And I was like, this time is to get you ready. And it's not getting you ready. You see, everything I tell you, you say, watch this. I know, but I'm sitting in my seat going, you know, but you don't believe it. So, I want to ask you. The Bible says very plainly and repeatedly what's going to happen to you. I know you know it. Do you believe it? Because when, when, when Jesus, I, I'm going to love what I'm about to show you. On almost every passage when he says, here's what's going to happen to you, he tells you why it's good to know now. Beginning in the upper room. We started in John 15 in the upper room with what's going to happen. He says, just before that, he says, now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens you may believe. Believe what? Well, believe it's going to happen. No, no, no. There's no belief needed. Now it's sight. It, I said it's going to happen. Now it's happening. Now that it's happening, I told you that it was going to happen so that when it happened, you would believe. But believe what? Believe that it would happen. Not be surprised that it's going to happen. Believe that you haven't lost control. Believe that you haven't abandoned me. Believe that you haven't forgotten me. Because, folks, when suffering enters your life, some of you are experiencing it right now. If not, uh, what weirds us out about this, we don't know what tomorrow, this afternoon, holds. You know, everything can change like that, can it? We know that. But Jesus says, do I have your ears? Jesus says, I'm telling you now that it's going to happen so that when it happens, you believe in me in that moment. You believe that I love you. You believe that I'm with you. You believe that I'm for you. 
You believe that I am in control. You believe in me when life serves up what you weren't looking for. That's the value of knowing now. So that when now happens, when suffering happens, you believe in him. We looked at John 16. Here's what he said before he said, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue and kill you. He said, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Because that's what happens. We stumble. You know, the, the picture of a relationship with God is a walk. We're on a journey. We have a relationship with him. And sometimes we trip and fall. Sometimes godly parents raise their kids and then their kids don't walk with Jesus. And because their kids don't walk with Jesus, they stumble and they stop themselves. God, I, listen, I expect unbelievers' kids to go off the deep end. But I love you and I did my best. And we don't believe and therefore we stumble. Our marriage gets harder or brings things that we didn't expect, we didn't plan on, we didn't sign up for. And we go, God, what's up with that? This is, I thought we had this deal. I love you, you love me. We don't believe that he's with us for us and we stumble. Later, he says, still same upper room. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Usually the exact opposite of what we have in the midst of suffering. You may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. I promise it's going to happen. I'm telling you. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the word. Take courage courage. Suffering is not evidence that I'm out of control. Suffering is not evidence that I've taken my hand off the wheel. Take courage. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I know what I'm doing. To 1 Peter 4. Remember we looked at 1 Peter 4? In that same context, he says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be shocked. Don't go, What? which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange. It's the plainly predicted future. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, the third point, the value of knowing now, I have two sentences. The first sentence, I wrote out, we printed the bulletin, and I don't like it anymore. <laughs> but I'm too cheap, and so I didn't want to reprint the bulletin, so you got to change it. So you don't get to just fill in blanks right now. I, I want to say it this way. The value of knowing now is this, that instead of being surprised, because Peter said, don't be surprised. Instead of being surprised, instead of folding and running, Instead of being surprised, we can prepare. This is the value of knowing now. We can prepare our hearts to, number one, believe he is with me and for me. That may be, that, that may be the best reminder some of you could ever have in this moment this morning. He's with me. He's for me. He has not forgotten me. He has not abandoned me. He loves me. He couldn't love me more. And so, because I believe he's with me and for me, number two, what? <laughs> I will not stumble. I'm going to keep walking by faith. I'm going to keep following. I'm not going, where's the eject button? <laughs> How do I get off this flight? I'm going to keep walking. Keep trusting. <laughs> See, this is, this is what I loved about this song that we are learning, Giver of Life. Consistent God, I know who you are. You've not abandoned me. You are for me. So I trust you. I won't stumble. I'll keep walking. And in fact, 
of peace within and courage in in spite of what I'm experiencing. Peace and courage, which is what we often don't have. And finally, the evidence of peace within and courage is I keep rejoicing. And you know, I've said it often. Maybe, maybe the second most important thing I learned about my faith early on was this simple statement. The language of your faith is thanksgiving. The language of your faith is thanksgiving. That in everything I will give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you who are in Christ Jesus. I know who you are. I trust you. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop walking. I'm not going to trip up. I'm going to believe that you're for me. I'm going to believe that you're in me. I'm going to believe that you have not abandoned me. And it's going to come out of my mouth in the form of praise and thanksgiving, regardless of my sufferings. Now, that, that could all sound cliche, but I just... I want to remind you, you may, may have heard me earlier in 2018 talk about Dr. John Schneider. John died earlier in 2018. Most of us would say it like this. John went home to be with the Lord after a many-year battle with cancer. But John refused to ever describe it that way. Because he said, Doug... I have a firm conviction that nothing touches me that has not passed through the hands of my loving, perfect, heavenly Father. And so when cancer came into my life, I was not going to battle cancer because it was from the Lord. And why would I battle with the Lord? It was not my fight against cancer. It was the new platform by which God would give me to live my life. Now, that can sound like words, but I tell you, I had never... Seriously, in all my years here at the chapel, I'd never seen a man embrace sickness with the faith, the confidence of a prepared heart like him. I mean, I sat with him and I was like, Doug, is, this what go, is it going to go down with you like this? Are you this ready to genuinely say... It's not a battle. It's my platform. For years, God gave me the platform of being a doctor, of helping others, to pray with patients and to serve them. Now it's the platform of cancer. I'm just on the other side of the table. And when they said, you got six months, he said, no problem. If I'm not dead, I'm not done. If I'm not dead, God's not done with me. And then when he was still alive six months after he was supposed to be dead, he said, I don't have any explanation for it other than I'm not dead. So clearly God's not done. And so a year and a half after he was supposed to be dead and he still wasn't, he simply kept saying the same thing. Not a cliche. He genuinely believed I'm not dead. God's not done. He is continuing to give me this platform. His heart was ready like I've seen few hearts ready to embrace what we don't want to embrace, suffering. And Jesus said, I'm telling you folks, it's gonna happen. Be ready. Don't be surprised. Believe in me in it. Keep walking. Don't stumble. Don't fold and run. Trust me, have courage. And let praise be that which comes out of your mouth because of it. And so when... John was done. His cancer doctor came and spoke at his funeral and said, this man trusted in Jesus like I've never seen a man trust in Jesus in the face of cancer. The head of St. Vincent's showed up and said, This man trusted in Jesus like I've never seen somebody trust in Jesus. Every single person who spoke at the funeral said the same thing. This was not a cliche. This was how he lived his life. Even in those weeks at the end where he only had an hour or two of strength and then back to bed, 
simply in that hour or two, I'm not dead. God's not done. Ready. And so I'm, I'm simply saying this morning, I really intended to just blow through this text. That's the third time. Yeah, 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 and move on. Except the Lord stopped us so that, that we, by his grace, will be ready and not do what the disciples did, fold and run. That we would know it and believe it and keep walking with courage and peace demonstrated by the rejoicing that comes out of our mouth. I don't know. I'm not doomsday prediction. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I don't know what's going to go down with America. I don't know what's going to happen with my kids and my grandkids or how it's going to happen. I do know that the plainly repeated promise is that if you follow me, you're going to suffer. Know it so that you'll be ready to trust me in it. And, and, one more, and to see it differently. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. In other words, our outward life is going in one direction and as followers of Jesus, our inward life is going a completely different direction. What looks like bad on the outside is getting better and better on the inside. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, catch this. If you know anything about what happened with the Apostle Paul who's writing this, you and I would have never defined what happened in his life in the way of suffering as light affliction. We would count what happened in his life as horrible, very bad, no good, awful day. Repeatedly. From being beaten, to kicked out, to left for dead, to shipwreck, to snakes, to prison. Light affliction? That's not how you and I, we call a cold light affliction. He, but, but Paul says, hey, it's light affliction because it's, don't miss this, because it's momentary in comparison to what it's producing for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. See, it would be a bum if that which was temporal was heavy and that which was eternal would be light. But that's not what's true. What's true is that which is temporary is light and that which is heavy is eternal. So he's gone, this is a great trade. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are, say it. Oh, this is, it's what? Temporal. This is temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's where the weight is. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, that's our body, is torn down. You see, some will be killed. Some of us will have the body torn down. The rest of us is just going to fall down. We have a building. When that happens, torn down, fall down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. So there it is again, eternal in the heavens. You see, the phenomenal hope is this. <laughs> You're going to suffer. You're going to die. And then you're going to get eternal life. Uh, we, so we fix our hope on the joy of eternal life. We fix our hope, not in the temporary, but the eternal, not in the light affliction, but the overwhelming weight of glory. We get to, we get to say, 
It's going to have layover in the land of suffering, but the destination that we're on is eternal. That's worth it. I'll take layover for the destination. And in that destination, here's what we'll experience. When it comes to our body, Jesus said, I'll rise. And he said, my followers will rise. But when we, ra- we are raised from the dead, we don't get the old tent back. <laughs> so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown. This is our per- current, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And watch this logic. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So is there a natural body? Yeah. If you don't believe, come up and I'll kick you in the shin and you go, okay, I got a natural body. As certain, as certain as you're sitting there with a natural body is just as certain there is a spiritual body. You need to know that and know it now because this is going to fall down, but you're going to get an exchange, a brand new body that's not a little bit of an upgrade. It's not the newer version. It's a whole new operating system. And eternal life in a new body will be here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, burned up so hot that there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. In other words, God is in the house. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There'll be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things, gone. The suffering promised, yes. The suffering promised. The death promised. The resurrection promised. And so much better momentary going to give way to the eternal light to give way to the to the heavy weight so we fix our hope on the joy of eternal life on a new earth with a new immortal body it's good to go it's good to know now it's good to know now Not just to hear it. Not just to go, yeah, I know, but that's right. No, to go, I embrace the now because of what I know will happen from a very highly reliable source. He said it. And it happened to him. He said it. It's gonna happen to me. So I wanna invite the men to bring elements of the Lord's Supper. Here's why. If you're unfamiliar with the Lord's Supper, we're simply going to pass a tray with some bread, some cracker in it. And that cracker is a reminder. It's a symbol of the body of Christ and the cracker's all broken up. It's a reminder. Could you look up here for it, please? Thanks. It's a reminder that Jesus' body did suffer. It was broken. And it was killed. This cracker. Just a picture of the broken body of Christ. This cup. A symbol. Of the blood of Jesus. Shed for you and me. Because everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a savior. And there is no forgiveness. Apart from Jesus. This is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so as it's passing, I want you to meditate and think about the words to this song that will be sung for us of this journey 
of God's unfolding grace in your life and my life. A journey that started in separation to death to life. It's the journey of our hope in Jesus. Take, uh, excuse me, receive these and then we'll take together in a moment. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, our living Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living hope Then came the morning that sealed the promise Your buried body began to breathe Out of the side the roaring lion declare the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The Christ, our living hope, because he was our suffering Savior, and death had no claim on him. He conquered the grave, and as followers of Jesus, we will suffer, and death will have no claim on us. We have a living hope in Jesus. I simply want to acknowledge that if if you don't know you have that hope in Jesus, that you have been born again, and that Christ has made you new, I invite you simply to declare to God right now in this moment, I deserve death. I am a sinner. 
but I believe you, Jesus, that you took my penalty. Would you forgive my sin and make me new? For those who have declared that and believe it, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You have a living hope because of Jesus. Let's take in remembrance of him. Stand with me if you would and let's declare together, hallelujah, praise the one who set us free. when the Apostle John shared that here's what we have to look forward to, life eternal and a new body on a new heaven on a new earth. He says, and he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. He is making us new in Christ. And then he says, write it, for these words are faithful and true. He's simply saying, I am a highly reliable source. It's gonna happen the way I said. He's our living hope. Go in the confidence and the encouragement. You will suffer and you will rise again. God bless. Thanks for being here. Yeah.